you have learned much about me. You've stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's throw our Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. This is your host, Grayson Marcotte. On this episode, we're going to discuss the X-Men, specifically Extraordinary X-Men, issues 1 through 5. I'm going to give you my initial impressions on the books, and we'll talk a bit about the plot and some of the characters, of course. After that, we're going to stay with Marvel, but we're going to shift gears some and get into their current run on Star Wars. They've launched several titles since they first got started, but we are going to focus on the first six issues of the flagship title, which is, of course, simply titled Star Wars. After that, we're going to give you guys the details on our very first giveaway, so if you want to win some cool stuff, definitely stick around to the end so that you can get that information. We're really excited about it. It's, I think it's a pretty cool giveaway, so um, just uh, stay tuned. It should be a fun exploration on this episode, a fun examination, and as always, I hope you all enjoy it. I may have mentioned in one of our last episodes that I bought my first X titles in over a decade just a little while ago with the first issues of X-Men Blue and X-Men Gold. Um, For those of you wanting to know, I believe the title I read last was an issue of Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, so yeah, it's it's definitely been a minute. Um, I had been talking shop with some of the guys uh, from Emerald City about the X titles and and sort of Marvel in general, and uh, in doing so I discovered that Extraordinary X-Men had served as a sort of springboard for X-Men Blue and Gold, and more or less informed the two books, so... I thought it prudent to delve into Extraordinary and peruse the first few issues of that title at the very least so I could kind of get a feel for where um, X-Men is at currently. Published in 2015, Extraordinary X-Men was created by writer Jeff Lemire and artist Humberto Ramos, and it served as a quote-unquote reboot, if you will, of the X-Men franchise, uh, simultaneously taking the place of the flagship title. The uh, the first collected edition is titled X Haven, um, and it actually contains a blurb from uh, ComicVine.com that describes the series as a good place for new readers to jump on and a great read for X Men fans who have been reading for years. I'd say I mostly agree with that assessment, though. Extraordinary isn't a complete reset so much as it is a new start for the X Men. So. I was in the dark about a few things that um, occurred prior to the first issue. Still, it was uh, fairly simple to read between the lines, and uh, I'll do my best to help fill in the gaps for you without too many spoilers, though there may be uh, a few spoilers in there, so be forewarned. Extraordinary finds the X-Men now under the leadership of Aurora Monroe and uh, in a bit of a pickle, as Mutant Kind has once again come um, under the hateful eye of fear and scrutiny, which, you know, is uh, par for the course as far as uh, Mutant Kind was concerned. But um, with her remaining X-Men, Storm did relocate the school to an, uh, how should we say, undisclosed location um, that may or may not be in this particular realm. And she and her team performed routine search and rescue missions for remaining mutants left in the world. Um, of course, circumstances go from worse to dire, 
as uh, Exhaven, the name of the school's current location in time and space, is, has come under fire along with the sudden abduction of uh, Kurt Wagner during a search and rescue mission. So um, facing incredible pressure to uh, defend Exhaven and preserve the fate of mutant kind, Storm does turn to recruit three additional members to her team, reluctant though, uh, though they may be, and they are none other than Colossus, Jean Grey, and the Wolverine himself. Overall, I thought the book was a fun read, and I did enjoy it. Um, the initial exposition was handled very well with Ileana Rasputin, um, a.k.a. Magic, teleporting an Indian mutant from New Delhi to the safety of Exhaven. Um, we learn within a very few short panels uh, through Storm's internal dialogue with what I'm calling the quote-unquote spirit of Professor X that uh, Storm is in charge of the X-Men and simultaneously um, the events occurring in New Delhi reset the the world stage for mutants as a place of outright hatred and fear towards their kind. And um, that was the initial theme of the X-Men, of course, so it seems only fitting to take it back to the beginning. Um, I enjoyed the overall spirit of um, getting the band back together, and I thought it was interesting that the creative team decided to keep with the times by giving Piotr Rasputin a uh, modern male hairstyle and beard so much uh, so, so much so that his sister Liana remarks on his hipster do. Speaking of magic and Colossus, it was actually pretty trying not to uh, constantly exclaim Iliana in uh, Rick Bennett's voice every time he said her name uh, in the comics. Um, the, the 90s were really awesome. That cartoon was great, but maybe just a little overacted. But um, anyway, back to... Magic and Colossus, the X roster in this book is pretty dang good, uh, and it does include the following, Storm, Iceman, Forge, Cerebra, Magic, Nightcrawler, with the later edition, of course, of Colossus, Jean Grey, and the Wolverine. On this point, I was a little bummed out that uh, Nightcrawler's appearance was cut short for the sake of dramatic tension, as he's kidnapped by a group of mutants that work for Mr. Sinister, and... Uh, I don't feel like this is much of a spoiler, by the way, because it's it's pretty much spilled on the back of the book. Um, I always was a fan of uh, Herr Wagner, so it uh, kind of sucked that um, there wasn't more of him in this particular book. So hopefully, as the series progresses, uh, we'll get to see more of Nightcrawler. Cerebro was brand new for me also. Uh, she appeared to be comprised of the essence of uh, Cerebro, but placed in a repurposed shell or... Um, I guess you could say, uh, yeah, a repurposed Sentinel. I like the idea, actually, and uh, I really uh, grew fond of the character very quickly, and uh, especially Cerebra's sort of childlike quirkiness. Concerning Jean Grey and Logan, it's evident that the Wolverine in this story is the self-same mutant from the old man uh, storyline um, created by Mark Millar, though um, somehow transposed to the Earth-616 timeline. Also, Jean Grey is the original teenaged incarnation of Marvel Girl from the original X-Men uh, from the 1960s, brought to the future by Dr. Hank Beast McCoy, so whatever. Um, I gave up on trying to make sense of time travel within the X-Universe, and uh, at this point I've just accepted it as part and parcel to the series. So, you know, there you go. Speaking of time travel and a mixed-up X-Universe, I would like to point out very quickly that um, don't you think that 
with a film like Days of Future Past, the creators, uh, or rather I should say the, um, the creative and production team could have maybe seen that as an opportunity to go back and just wipe the slate clean and, and remake the X-Men films um, and, and sort of clean up some of the gobbledygook that was created post-X-Men 2. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people liked X-Men 3, and I guess it was an alright movie, but, you know, moving past that, dude, um, you know, we can actually discuss that at another time. I'm just saying, days of future past, time travel, clean it up. All I'm saying, guys. Um, anyway, back to X-Haven. The, the only thing I didn't particularly care for um, in the book were the two loose references to um, evidently major plot points from earlier stories that brought us to the present events, uh, present events, excuse me, within X-Haven. Uh, particularly, I wondered just what is Terrigen missed and how it came to be, uh, as well as the, um, the revelation that mutant hate had been uh, majorly rekindled by something terrible that Cyclops had done prior to his demise. So yeah, he's dead. But don't worry too much about the Golden Boy, because Gene uh, reveals that there's a teenage Scott Summers to go along with her time transplant, so yippee. Um, yeah, I just, oh wow. Uh, any, I, I actually thought I'd be able to check the web for a synopsis of uh, what it was that Cyclops had done, but it seems a bit more in-depth than, um, than for what our time allows here, but suffice it to say that over time, old Scotty became uh, way more of a hard-boiled badass, uh, even going so far as to form a black ops squad out of X-Force, and... Um, kind of swapping ideologies with Magneto to an extent, and, and even embodying the Phoenix Force for a time. So that might actually be pretty cool to read, and maybe I'll get around to it, but I believe it would be hard for me to ever respect Cyclops, um, much less like him. So um, anyway, I, I guess at this point I'm, I sort of digress. The only other thing that sort of rubbed me the wrong way was the appearance of Mr. Sinister as the villain of this arc. Now, do not get me wrong, the concept of Nathaniel Essex is terrifying. I mean, um, the word eugenics itself conjures some pretty moribund history, and that happens to be Sinister's stock and trade, as it were. His experiments with uh, quote-unquote improving mutant kind often end in malformed misery and death, if not outright deadly, horrible, horrid abominations, but... uh, Either way, Sinister came off, to me at least, as a sort of two-bit mad scientist in this book, and I feel like that could have at least been dampened by an updated and less flamboyant costume. Uh, he is still rocking the Ziggy Stardust gone S&M golf days from the 90s, and for me at least, that, that just didn't work um, visually now. Even Colossus got a haircut, man, and, um, you know, I mean, he sort of does look like he should be wearing horn rim specs and advocating the virtues of Whole Foods and fixed gear bicycles, but at least he got an update. That's that's all I'm saying. Um, even with that, I will restate that I enjoyed X Haven. So don't don't uh, don't let hipster classes throw you off too much. Uh, I, I do look forward to reading the collected edition containing, I think, issues six through ten, and that's entitled Apocalypse Wars. So you know, I wonder who that could be about. Just, I mean, I've got a guess. I think it's a it's an educated guess, but I'm I'm pretty sure I, I know who might factor in there. Um, anyway, I do need to see what happens to Nightcrawler. That is very true, and uh, and come to think of it, we've actually got all the fixins for a fastball special. 
Um, or is Wolvie too old for that now? Who knows? Um, hell, Colossus may prefer a ball of yarn and knitting needles to a ball of fur and adamantium claws, so go figure. Um, if you haven't read Extraordinary X-Men, though, um, or if you're like me, you've been out of the X game for a while, definitely pick up um, the first collected edition, uh, X-Haven, because it's, it's worth reading, and, and it was a fun trip down memory lane. Even if Even if a lot of things have changed, I think a lot more of them have stayed the same, so... It's definitely worth your time, and uh, you could do a lot worse than than pick that up and give it a go. All right, so I know that Marvel has been publishing Star Wars since 2015. In all fairness, uh, that was around the same time they started publishing Extraordinary X-Men as well, so at least we're in the same ballpark timeline-wise. Either way, I wanted to talk about the first six issues, at least, of Star Wars, since I believe what Disney and Lucasfilm are doing with the Star Wars canon is so important. I feel that by covering the way the stage was set for the comics, we'll actually be able to pave the way for future discussions um, regarding future issues, um, future story arcs, parallel titles, as well as uh, the existing and future literature um, of Star Wars. And, um, and I think that would be really a really fun thing to do. Some of you all may remember how we talked a bit about, um, I think in our first episode, that all the Expanded Universe stuff from before Episode 7 has been rebranded Star Wars Legends, and that Disney and Lucasfilm have taken pretty great pains to reestablish a cohesive canon for the Star Wars universe. Um, and in this case, their flagship comic title is Star Wars, uh, and it is an amazing if not keystone part of that execution. Here we'll be discussing the first six-issue story arc titled Skywalker Strikes, which was penned by writer Jason Aaron with accompanying artwork from penciler John Cassidy. All six issues have by now, of course, been collected in a trade paperback edition published by Marvel. Skywalker Strikes takes place very shortly after the Battle of Yavin, with the Rebels taking a sharp offensive in an attempt to maintain the momentum created by their Death Star victory. The story follows the Rebels' attempt to destroy one of the Empire's main weapons manufacturing facilities on Simoon 1, and the assault team consists of our core cast of characters, Han, Leia, Luke, Chewie, and the droids C-3PO and R2-D2. Things are going about as smooth as Amon Kala's noggin for our heroes until, to their horror, Darth Vader arrives on Simoon 1, to oversee its operations. Quite naturally, things begin to fall apart for the Rebels uh, with the arrival of Vader. He single-handedly creates an almost unstoppable opposition. Um, here we also see uh, their, their means of escape, the Millennium Falcon, being disassembled piece by piece by Simon One's native scavengers, uh, with only C-3PO left to defend her, so I'm sure you can imagine how well that worked out for everybody. Most importantly, though, here we get a glimpse of the Rebels' first real encounter with Vader. Um, it includes a one-on-one -on -one standoff with Luke also, though to be fair, Obi-Wan's Force Ghost does sort of intervene and imparts to Luke a, a piece of life-preserving wisdom when he tells him to listen very carefully and run. Um, I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, at this point, it's good, it's a good old-fashioned mixture of luck and the force that enable the Rebels to escape this cluster F in one piece, though. 
not without giving Vader a much keener interest in tracking down the lightsaber-wielding youngster who he's now certain destroyed the Death Star. The arc actually closes with Vader hiring Boba Fett to track and capture Luke, which is, as I'm sure you can imagine, unsuccessful, uh, though not without its, uh, not without its uh, juicy bits of, of uh, scuffling and, and tussling. Um, however, Fett, um, even though he did not capture Skywalker, he did deliver to Vader the name Skywalker, which transformed the Dark Lord of the Sith's uh, uh, mission to capture Luke. Uh, it, it changes that from top priority to an all-consuming quest. I'm going to tell you straight up that I love these comics. I thought they were brilliant. There wasn't a moment when I wanted to put them down and, and get to something else or start working on something else. Um, the art is immersive, and the dialogue really flows from one panel to the next. It's, uh, it's definitely driven by the action and the dialogue. And at this point, we're, we're really all familiar with the characters and uh, their respective backstories, so that's, that's really all we need. Um, one of the things that sticks out to me is that we get a much clearer sense of the main character's relationship to the villain, specifically Vader. Um, as he approaches the Rebels' proximity, for instance, Chewie thinks he can take a, a sniper shot at the fallen Jedi, uh, only to discover that Vader has no issue A, being aware of the shot, and B, deflecting that bolt aside. So we see, too, in this scenario um, that witnessing Vader in action is a borderline supernatural thing. It's uh, a borderline supernatural experience for one such as Han Solo, for example, as he continues to remark on the impossibility of the Dark Lord taking down uh, their method of escape, which, you know, is an AT-AT walker. You'd think that there would be absolutely no issue there. Uh, and once again, you say at-at, I say AT-AT, potato, potato. Though, instead of calling the whole thing off, just concede that logically and practically I'm correct, and we'll talk more about the comics. Okay. So, right off the bat, we know that these guys have already taken shots at Vader and gotten away with it, um, prior to Han pulling a blaster on him at dinner in Cloud City. So, um, even though there was a disadvantage of the books being written after the established canon of the films, it's still able to lend a more defined cat-and-mouse relationship to Vader and our rebel friends. I, I sort of got more insight into Vader's sense of urgency in arriving on Hoth uh, to capture the Falcon before it could escape. I kind of got the impression with Fett, too, as it, uh, it really kind of helps bridge the connection and sense of familiarity with the main characters. Um, the early issues cultivate a sense of familiarity which isn't present in the film canon, and, um, and I can really appreciate that. This actually brings me to my final point, and probably the main reason why I enjoy the book so much. The issues that comprise Skywalker Strikes truly feel like Star Wars, and that is so incredibly vital. The world of Star Wars is so unique in its sense of an almost dingy aesthetic. It's sort of a clunky, futuristic design that's Hard to put a finger on, especially uh, once you fill in the blanks with its characters and races, its language, history, and overall mythology. It's its its own thing very much, and 
for the creative team to capture it so well in dialogue and visual rendering, I'm impressed. I've read some Star Wars stories that are good enough stories in their own right. However, their creators just, they just weren't able to convince me that they are Star Wars stories. And uh, this is something that Aaron and Cassidy have executed brilliantly here. So if you are a Star Wars fan and you haven't picked up these books, I urge you to do it now. All right, guys and gals, we are doing our very first giveaway here at the Sleeping Giant. We're going to give seven winners Star Wars Celebration exclusive trading cards from the Top Star Wars Card Trader app. That card was only available at the Tops booth at the Star Wars Celebration Orlando event, but we're going to make it available to you here just in case you missed out or, hey, if you would just like another one. Um, all you got to do is like the link to this show on our Facebook page and, for a bonus entry, leave a comment on the SoundCloud page for this episode. For those of you who have not found us online yet, you can uh, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the username SG Cards and Toys. That's just SG Cards A-N-D Toys. Um, the cards will actually be distributed by our friends at Collector Zone once seven winners have been chosen at random, and the contest will run until the end of June. So uh, get to listening and start clicking. I think that's uh, easy peasy lemon squeezy, as old JDM might say. Um, one last thing, too. Um, y'all will need the Tops app on your various i and Android devices to receive the prize. So if you don't already have it, Get it, and then talk to our homies at Collector Zone, uh, because they will beef up your collections quick smart. Good luck, guys. All right, that just about, if not completely, wraps up our show this go-round. Uh, make sure you write to us and share your thoughts and suggestions for the program. You can send email to us at sgcardsandtoys at gmail.com, or you can post a message or tweet on Facebook and Twitter, respectively. Again, you can find us at sgcardsandtoys on either social media outlet. Uh, if you join us next time, you are in for what will probably be an emotional heavy hitter, as I'll be discussing Marvel's Darth Vader title, um, which recently wrapped up here. Um, though it will pick back up again in June with a new uh, number one issue um, and accompanying story arc that this time will focus on Vader's early days as he adjusts to his uh, scorched existence inside his armor. Uh, we'll be talking about that first issue, no doubt. Um, definitely check us out next month as we'll also be announcing our contest winners. And um, so that's something you don't want to miss. Uh, again, this is your host, Grayson Marcotte, thanking you for joining us for another episode, and we will hopefully see you next time.